1: book of Ruth is very clear telling of an actual event that shows us through the plan, through the providence, and through the abundant grace of God. He will work even through the greatest of our tragedies to bring about not only his will, but will bring about to us, to those that love him. He will bring about good out of those things. When we're in the midst of these things, It's so difficult for us to believe that any good can come out of that. In accordance with God's word and with the testimony of his word, I can assure you that his promises remain. It might be hard to imagine that God can
0: bring beneficial results out of tragedy. But that is precisely the true story of the book of Ruth. In his message today, Pastor David will encourage you to understand that God does work through hardships to bring good to those who are obedient. It can be hard to believe when you are in the midst of a struggle, but looking back, you can see how God kept his promise and brought about his will. Be encouraged today, knowing that God keeps his word. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Ruth chapter 3, as he continues his message, Commitment, Faithfulness, Disobedience, and a Divine Call.
1: Naomi finds out through God's great providence, the very field that Ruth went out to work on was owned by a fellow by the name of Boaz. And it turns out that Boaz is a relative of Naomi's deceased husband. Then Naomi tells Ruth, blessed be he, speaking of Boaz, who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to Ruth, This man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. And the word used by Naomi translated as close relative is the Hebrew word ga'al. And that word ga'al is used 104 times in 84 different verses in the Old Testament, most often translated as redeem or redeemer. He is our close relative. There is the understanding there within the law of Israel that if you had lost everything, if you had become uh, destitute and poor, you could be redeemed by a close relative who would come in and buy all of your land and then support you from that point. Or in the case of a woman, if she lost her husband and you are the kinsman redeemer, you had the responsibility then of going and marrying her and actually having children by her to again continue the the birth line or the lineage of her dead husband well this is a situation that boaz is in and from what we understand in the story he was probably quite a bit older than ruth at that point in time baker encyclopedia of the bible says that that hebrew root word gaal is used primarily in that relation to family rules and obligations. Again, for that next of kin to both has both the right and the obligation to redeem the property. Well, through a variety of situations, some simply the act of God while others were a little bit of conniving by Naomi and maybe by Ruth, it finally ends up that Boaz takes Ruth as his wife. And with her, of course, comes Naomi and whatever Elimelech had for his land prior to his death that he had to leave when he went to Moab. The book of Ruth is very clear telling of an actual event that shows us through the plan, through the providence, and through the abundant grace of God, he will work even through the greatest of our tragedies to bring about not only his will, but will bring about to us, to those that love him, he will bring about good out of those things. When we're in the midst of these things, it's so difficult for us to believe that any good can come out of that. In accordance with God's word and with the testimony of his word, I can assure you that his promises remain. Boaz became their kinsman redeemer, a type of Jesus Christ, as I shared before. Just as Jesus had to become, like us, part of the family of man, he became our kinsman redeemer. Now, as Boaz and Ruth got married, they had a child, a son, by the name of Obed. But it would seem like the birth of a son was actually more important to the well-being of Naomi at that point in time, at least as far as her friends were concerned. It's interesting reading when you read chapter 4, because all of Naomi's friends, they say, man, Naomi, you are blessed. You now have a son. And wow, this, well, no, that's that's her daughter-in-law that had a son. But you understand that through all the grief and through all the strife, through all the heartbreak that Naomi had gone through, She now sees, again, the blessing of God in this uh, son, now a grandson by the name of Obed. Now, in chapter four, we read the blessings and the words spoken to Naomi after the birth. Look at verse 14. Then the women, the, the friends of Naomi, said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative, And may his name be famous in Israel. That's Boaz, the kinsman redeemer. And may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. And Also the neighbor women gave him a name saying, This is the son born to Naomi. Well, it wasn't truly Naomi's son, but she was blessed by his birth, blessed more than she could have ever realized in all of her earthly life. Because as Obed grew, he grew into manhood. He then had a son by the name of Jesse. And Jesse became the father of David, the greatest king of Israel. And from the line of David, comes the true kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. One more oddity in the bloodline of David. First of all, you got a Moabite woman as his great-grandmother. And then as we look at the bloodline that's given to us there in verse 18 and following, we find that Perez is also listed as an ancestor. Well, who was Perez? Well, he was one of the sons of Judah by Judah's relationship with Tamar, his daughter-in-law. So, I mean, the whole concept of this thing is so bizarre. God never ceases to amaze me how he takes our junk, he takes our failures, and he turns them into an amazing work of his hand. And I believe that that's something that, beloved, whenever the enemy comes at us, comes after us, trying to distract us, and trying to bring us down, we need to remember know that God takes the junk of our lives and turns it into good. We move into 1 Samuel, the rise of Samuel and of David. From the lives of Ruth and and her family in Bethlehem of Judea, we now move right into the life of there in verse 1 of 1 Samuel, a certain man of Ramathai and Zophim of the mountains of Ephraim His name was Elkanah and the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth and Ephraimite. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah. The name of the other was Paniah. Paniah had children, but Hannah had no children. These were still desperate times in the the life of Israel. Things had not calmed down. We still had that same concept. Remember, this ties right in with the book of Judges. There was still no king in Israel. Men still did what was right in their own eyes. The book of Ruth was just a little subset within the midst of this. So we still have all of this going. But yet in the book of Ruth, we saw hope for the future, and Israel still had to deal though with the here and now, yes, there's hope in the future, but how do I deal with what's going on now? Because it's not very pretty. Our nation is an absolute mess, not too unlike things we see within our own nation. Well, at this time, a man by the name of Eli, a descendant of the sons of Aaron was serving at the high priest at the tabernacle that was located in Shiloh. It wasn't in Jerusalem. There's no temple built yet. Solomon does this years and years later, the son of David. This is the tent of meeting, the tabernacle there in Shiloh. He served as the high priest there, and he had two sons, Hophni and Phineas, who, because of the age of Eli, because of bad health with Eli, his two sons were the ones who were serving at the tabernacle in his place. And yet, his, his two sons were absolutely full-on reprobates. I mean, they were just wicked guys. And they were the ones that were taking care. Hey, don't worry, Dad, we'll take care of this. You stay home. Me and Phineas, we got this covered. And they would go to the temple, and people would bring sacrifices, and these guys would take this three-forked spear and kind of spear into the pots, and they'd pull out whatever meat that they wanted. Even when the people said, no, 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 don't, don't take that. That's given unto the Lord. they say, that's all right. We've got it covered. We'll take it. Well, shouldn't the fat be the Lord's for sure? The fat was the Lord. No, no, no. We're going to take it. Well, shouldn't we uh, do something? No, we don't want it boiled. We like our meat barbecued, and so they, they, would, they would take it right out of the pots. Not only that, but they had this whole uh, courtier of, of women that, again, that they used for their own good pleasure that were right there at the tabernacle. So just the wickedness that came out of these guys, Eli, again, letting them go ahead and be and do whatever they wanted. They would take the offerings of the people for their own good pleasure, and then they had the women there at the tabernacle for their own gratification. They didn't even try to hide their wickedness. They displayed it for everybody to see. Beloved, this was not a good time for the nation of Israel. Yet in all of that, This man here that we read in the first chapter, Elkanah would still go up to Shiloh with his two wives and he would offer sacrifices to Yahweh, to Jehovah, to the Lord. On one of these trips, Hannah, who was so overwhelmed by the fact that she was barren, she went to the tent of meeting and she began to cry out loud to the Lord. We see it here in 1 Samuel chapter one, down in Verse 10. It says that she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to Yahweh, prayed to the Lord, wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you'll indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. This woman was so desperate to fulfill what was the social understanding of that day to have a male child to carry on the lineage of your husband she was picked on by uh Elkanai's other wife penaha and again that that she was childless much like sarah was taunted by hagar once hagar had ishmael and so she got to the point lord if you just give me a male child, I will give him back to you to serve you all the days of his life. And he'll take a Nazarite vow. Well, while she's praying there, apparently she's not praying out loud, but she's probably just kind of mumbling along. And Eli is there. And Eli's kind of trying to hear what this woman is saying, but because she's just kind of, she's, she's not really making sense to Eli's ears. Eli thinks that she's drunk. She explains to Eli, no, I'm, I'm not drunk at all, but I'm praying and I'm and, and asking the Lord to give me a son. So finally, Eli, he, he blesses her and sends her on his way. In verse 17, Eli answered and said, go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition, which you've asked him. Well, it certainly wasn't because, I don't believe, because of Eli's blessing. But it was by the plan of God and the faithfulness of the prayers of Hannah that God blessed her with a young son by the name of Samuel. Hannah was faithful in her promise to God, and once Samuel was weaned, she took him to Shiloh and committed him into the hands of God and the service of the tabernacle there before Eli. And as the young child grew, 1 Samuel, flip over to chapter 3, verse 1, tells us that the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. Can you imagine why there wasn't a widespread revelation? Can you imagine why God's not speaking to these people when you got guys like Hophni and Phinehas, they're serving in the tabernacle? But yet God is about to do something. Because during that time, as Samuel was lying down there in the evening, down in verse 4 of chapter 3, we read that the Lord called Samuel. And he answered and said, Here I am. So he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And Eli said, I didn't call you. Lie down again. And he went and laid back down. Then the Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, here I am. You you, you called me. But Eli answered, I didn't call you, my son. Lay back down. Quit bothering me. Go back to bed. Verse 7, now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. That's an interesting thing. How many years had he served there in the tabernacle at that point in time? He didn't know the Lord. It's like serving in ministry, not knowing the Lord. Nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. So Eli, even as he's raising him, he's not speaking to him about the Lord. Verse eight, the Lord called Samuel again the third time. Then he arose and he went to Eli and said, here I am for you did call me. Then Eli, light came on in his head finally. (laughs) Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go and lie down, and it shall be if he calls you that you must say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and laid down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered and said, speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears will tingle. It's interesting that what the Lord spoke to Samuel there. He says, I'm finished with Hophni and Phinehas. As a matter of fact, I'm finished with Eli and Eli's whole household. They're going to be destroyed. That's the message that God gave to Samuel. Once Eli heard the fullness of that word of the Lord to Samuel, he understood fully because the Lord had already revealed it to him. And he told Samuel, he says, tell me now what the Lord has spoken and and don't hold back anything. So Samuel gives him that word that the Lord spoke and it was right exactly what Eli had received from the Lord. So we find in 1 Samuel 3, verse 18, Eli saying, it is the Lord. Let him do what is good to him. So at this point in time, Eli knew that his point in time was over, that, that game's done. He and again, he's going to have to pay for his lifestyle. Well, verse 19 comes. So Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all of Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. Then the Lord appeared again in Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. But what happened to the word of the Lord? What happened to that promise or that statement, that judgment of God that I'm done with Phinehas and his brother, I'm done with them, I'm going to take them out, no longer, Eli is no longer going to serve. There's apparently a time frame here that again, they're, they're still allowed to serve, but yet God is now moving and working. But then shortly after, we find the Philistines come out to battle against the Israelites. And the people of Israel, they go in and they foolishly grab the Ark of the Covenant from the tabernacle there in Shiloh, and they send it out into the battle because they believe, well, if we just have the Ark, the Lord will be with us. If we just go through the ritual, if we just go through the ceremony, then certainly God's going to be pleased with us. And that was the mindset. You don't see any brokenness in the people of Israel. You don't see them crying out to the Lord, Lord, we've sinned against you all of these years. Please have mercy on us. No, we're gonna go through a ritual. As long as I have this ark, then God is gonna protect us. The Philistines actually captured the ark from them, took it from them. I I can't imagine the, the shock and awe at that point in time for the Israelis. How can that even happen? They have our God. And that was their mindset, because within their mindset, that ark contained the power and the might of Almighty God. Philistines captured the ark, and in the process, they ended up killing both of Eli's sons, and then upon hearing about the death of the sons and the capture of the ark, we read in 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 18, Eli fell off the seat backward by the side of the gate, And his neck was broken, and he died, for the man was old and heavy. He had judged Israel for 40 years. Well, once the Philistines received the ark, it was nothing but trouble for them. And and again, uh, the the amazing uh, events that the Lord reveals to us through his word. They placed the ark there in their house of worship, the house of Dagon, and they put it there at the feet of Dagon, their, the, the statue of, of their God. And so they said, there, that shows you. Their, their God is bowing down to our God. They came back the next morning, and the statue of Dagon had fallen over in front of the God of Israel, in front of the ark. So I thought, well, it must have been an accident, a big wind or something. Let's prop him back up. The next day they came back, and not only had he fallen, but both of his arms were broken, and his head was knocked off too. And so they figured, okay, this is not working out the way that we had planned it. So they decided we're going to take it out of the house of Dagon and we're going to move it someplace else. Not only that, but the people of the Philistines began to break out in these boils and these tumors. And some say it would have been actually similar to the bubonic plague as, uh, again, this great outbreak of rats also came upon the land at the same time. You want to mess around with the true God of Israel, the Lord God, Jehovah, it's not going to be pretty for you. And so with this outbreak of the rats, the outbreak of these boils and these tumors, after an effort just simply to, to move the ark to another place, The Philistines finally decided, no, you know what we need to do? We need to send the ark back, and we need to send it back with gifts from us. Gee, what do we want to send as gifts to the people of Israel? They must have put a lot of thought in it, and so they decided what we'll do is we'll make little golden rats and little golden tumors or buboes, and send them back with the ark. and So that's what their plan was. But chapter seven tells us the ark never made it back all the way to Shiloh. It remained at Kirjath Jerem for 20 years. They're in Israel, but not in Shiloh. But it was during that time that Samuel led the people of Israel on this short-lived revival and even a battle against the Philistines, and the Lord provided a victory for them. Open our us from within by the open word.
0: Have you noticed a theme weaving its way through Pastor David's messages, and really through the Bible? That theme is salvation, it's Jesus. From the very beginning, God planned for His Son to come save the world from its sins. You find this plan ingrained in His Word, in the lives of the key people of Scripture, and in the words of truth each book provides. We're so glad you're on this journey with us. Through the Bible, we pray you're finding Jesus not just in the text, but in your everyday life, too. If you'd like to hear today's teaching again, you'll be able to listen online at theopenword.com. There's several messages there, in fact, and many of them go even more in-depth a verse-by-verse study of each individual book of God's Word. That website, again, is theopenword.com. Before our time
1: is up with you today,
0: we'd like to turn it back over to Pastor David for a quick request for you, our listener.
1: Yeah, thanks, Chris. I wanted to take a moment and ask you to be praying for the ministry of The Open Word. I know God is working through the messages I've been able to share, and He's opening hearts to His love every step of the way. As Chris was saying, this book I'm teaching from is just filled with grace and I want everyone to know about it. Would you pray that more and more people would come to know the saving grace of Jesus? Would you pray too for all of us who are creating the Open Word program? We want to keep focused on Jesus, not on us. Thanks so much for praying and thanks for joining me today on The Open Word. Make us